Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. So what? I don't mean to be flippant or disrespectful, but so what? What does it matter? It is too easy for us to simply move on, especially this year, as we never even left our coronavirus quarantine, but simply worshipped in place. No Easter bonnets to fuss over. No spring dresses to be seen. No Easter egg hunt at the Blue Heron. We marked off the day on our calendars, and it would seem that not much changed in this temporary normal we call social distancing. Peter says otherwise. Our text from the opening verses of Peter's first letter invites us to revisit the resurrection, to ask and to answer, what benefit does the resurrection give? What was God doing when he abandoned his son in agony on the cross and then recalled him to glory on the third day? Peter will not simply answer what God did historically in the past. He goes on to lay out what God will do in the future. And finally, what he is doing today, right here among us, and throughout the world that has suddenly become so singularly focused. And he begins with a shout, with an exclamation, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. That language, born again, prompts us to return back to John's third chapter and Nicodemus's nocturnal visit to Jesus. How can a man be born again, Nicodemus wants to know. And Jesus is answered, through water and the Spirit. We were born again, or born from above through the water of baptism, with the water included in God's command and combined with God's word, he declared, you are mine. What we often overlook in that account of John chapter 3 is the flow of the conversation. He goes from baptism in spirit to what? Immediately he takes Nicodemus, he takes us to the crucifixion. His first passion position. He will be lifted up as the serpent in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter 21, the first serpent, we learn that the serpents were sent because, quote, the people became impatient on the way. A salutary reminder for us in these days of self-isolation when we very likely are getting impatient. Because it's time to consider, though. To consider our lives before or outside of those waters of baptism. Peter will speak later in this chapter, and again in chapter 2, about our former lusts, our fleshly lusts. That second chapter actually begins with a litany of sins. Malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do we see ourselves in that? Sometimes it's easier to see these sins in others. Gregory the Great writes, When we see anyone's sin, we should first weep over ourselves and their calamity. Because we have either fallen like them, or we can fall. One contemporary author has it that, In the adulterer, I see my lust. In the murderer, I see my hate. In the thief, I see my coveting. In the unbelievable, I see my idolatry. In every sin, and every sinner, myself. It was my sin and yours that lifted up Christ on the cross. But the cross is not the end of the story. What does Peter write? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Luther, commenting on this verse, writes about the primacy of the resurrection. He who would preach the gospel must go directly to the preaching of the resurrection of Christ. He who does not preach the resurrection is no apostle. For this is the chief part of our faith. For were there no resurrection, we would have neither comfort nor hope, and everything that Christ did and suffered would be in vain. But he did rise. And so we join our praises to those of Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing the true glory of God as we contemplate his great act of salvation and the rich blessings he pours out on us according to his great mercy. The greatness of that mercy can only begin to be gauged when we consider our natural birth, our descent from Adam in comparison with our spiritual rebirth and our baptism's inclusion into the resurrection of Jesus. He is mercy incarnate. Come down to have mercy upon us. We sing with the psalmist. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. Praise is not only our natural response, it is our necessary response to the resurrection. A resurrection that has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter next moves to what God will do. He speaks of a living hope. It is important to notice the uniquely forward slant of Peter's epistle. Because of our lectionary system, because of the great bulk of St. Paul's writings, we spend a far greater time listening to him. Paul speaks extensively on the present reality of the blessings that flow from the cross. Romans 5. And not only this, we, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. To the Colossians, he speaks about the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To Corinth, he asserts the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And while Peter would not contradict Paul, his emphasis in verses 3 through 5 is decidedly forward-looking. As the good Dr. Gibbs would say, this is eschatology city. It's no small part because of the overwhelming, the heavenly nature of the blessings that he anticipates. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead looks forward to our resurrection from the dead on the last day. It is not yet, but it is fully and completely assured because you are in Christ through the water of baptism. And he in you by the power of the Spirit. Not an empty hope, a wishful dream, but fully guaranteed in the empty tomb and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promise. His promise in John chapter 14. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself and that where I am you may be also. But these future endings don't end there. Peter continues, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because I have a father, because I have this father, because you also are sons and daughters of the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have this indestructible inheritance. Beatty the Venerable described it this way, our inheritance is imperishable, because it is a heavenly life, 
which neither age, nor illness, nor death, nor any plague can touch. It is undefiled, because no unclean person can enter into it. It is unfading, because the heavenly blessings are such that even after long enjoyment of them, the blessed never grow tired. Whereas those who live an earthly luxury eventually have their fill of it and turn away from it. Close quote. What a future to look forward to. Again, grounded in the resurrection because it is kept in heaven for you. We rejoice with the psalmist. Thy lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. But there's a third part to these heavenly blessings. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your place is ready for you. As you heard from our Savior's lips just a moment ago, I go and prepare a place for you. All we need to do is to get ready. But since no one can do this of themselves or by themselves, Peter reminds us that we are kept in the power of God by faith. This should be obvious in our daily lives. No one can keep doing good works by the strength of his or her own free will. So we must ask God to help us, to strengthen us, to be about those good works he has prepared for us to do in caring for his creation. What a future Peter describes for us. A living hope, an indestructible inheritance, a certain salvation in Christ. This is our future, declared from the open tomb, eternally guaranteed by the resurrection. And once again, the doxology leaps from our hearts, blessed be the God and Father. God has done, causing us to be born again. What God will do, bringing us to His heavenly presence. Finally, Peter describes what God is doing right now, here, today. Verse 5. We, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation. He is guarding, protecting, defending us. As Mary Jane likes to describe it, God is moving the chess pieces around the board to accomplish what He desires. Sometimes it takes some pretty unusual moves to get all the pieces into their proper place to reach his objectives. Joseph sold into slavery. Moses murdering an Egyptian taskmaster. You might recall the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Elisha was persuaded to turn aside to her house and enjoy a meal. It became a regular stop in his travels to the point that the woman persuaded her husband to build a little room on the roof for the prophet. Gratitude, Elisha promises her a son by the hand of God at this season next year. Sound familiar? Fast forward several years, and the boy is grown, and then dies. In her grief, the woman summons the man of God. Elisha comes and restores the life of the boy and returns him to his grateful mother. Plenty of chess moves in that story. God is certainly at work, but that's not the end of the story. Four chapters later, she shows up again. And this time, at the urging of Elisha, she goes to sojourn in the land of the Philistines during a famine. She returns after seven years. Once more, God steps in through the king this time, who appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the field, from the day that she left the land until now. Peter cautions us that while God is guarding us, we, at the same time, have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
Certainly, this woman knew trials, but she trusted in the hand of God. We can take comfort in her endurance as we face the gauntlet of trials imposed on us by the current pandemic. God's hand is here as well. What are you doing today? Is it a carefully planned shopping excursion with masks and gloves? Do you long to visit with a friend or a family member in a place that you are not allowed to go for their safety? Needed surgeries have been put on hold. Living rooms have become classrooms. Our Eucharistic fast continues. We grow restless, tempted, impatient to tempt, test the limits of our governor's executive order. None of this may sound like the fiery trials of Peter's letter, but we need to remember this is an analogy. Luther observes, St. Peter here compares the gold that is tried by fire to the trial of faith by temptation and suffering. The fire does not make the gold any less, but it does make it pure and bright, so that all dross is removed. So God has imposed the cross on all Christians. As a result, their faith remains pure as the word is pure, and they depend on the word alone. is a time of discipline. The teacher of the Hebrews reminds us that for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But Peter, Peter goes even further. Did you notice the bookends to this present day section verses 6 through 9? We rejoice. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? God has caused us to be born again into a new life in Christ that will result in an indestructible inheritance laid up for us in heaven on the last day. But even now, God guards us through faith to life with Him. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.